Okay, and here we are at episode 15 of A Secret to Everybody. Thank you for tuning in this week. I am Ben, and I know last week I promised that we would not be talking about the new next-gen consoles this week. However, something big just happened yesterday, and I need to cover it real quick. So bear with me for that. I, I wrote these notes for the show on Tuesday. It's now Thursday when I'm recording, but yesterday, Wednesday, Microsoft came out with a big press release, I don't know what you want to call it, about the Xbox One, and it's pretty important. So I'm just going to read you the highlights of that. We'll just take a minute here, just so you're up to date on what's happening there. In this official press release on, on the Xbox website, he talks about you know how the Xbox is going to be new and all that stuff. And he says, you told us, he's talking about the users telling him, you know, giving them feedback, you told us how much you love the flexibility you have today with games delivered on disc. The ability to lend, share, and resell these games at your discretion is of incredible importance to you. Also important to you is the freedom to play offline for any length of time anywhere in the world. This is the important part. He says, So today I am announcing the following changes to Xbox One and how you can play, share, lend, and resell your games exactly as you do today on Xbox 360. Here's what that means. Bold number one. An internet connection will not be required to play offline Xbox One games. After a one-time system set up with a new Xbox One, you can play any disc-based game without ever connecting online again. There is no 24-hour connection requirement, and you can take your Xbox One anywhere you want and play your games just like on the 360. Second bold point, trade-in, lend, resell, gift, and rent disc-based games just like you do today. There will be no limitations to using and sharing games. It will work just as it does today on the Xbox 360. In addition to buying a disc from a retailer, you can also download games from Xbox Live on the day that they release. If you choose to download the games, you'll be able to play them offline just like you do today. Also, Xbox One games will be playable on any Xbox console, Xbox One console. There will be no regional restrictions. Uh, the sharing of games will work as it does today. You will simply share the disc. Downloaded titles cannot be shared or resold. Also, similar to today, playing disc-based games will require that the disc be in the tray. So, if you're on board with what the Xbox 360 is currently doing when it comes to the sharing of games, it sounds to me like they pretty much just took a step back in a good way. Because everything he said is basically what the Xbox 360 is already doing, or what the PlayStation 4 said they would do. So I think what happened here is, they figured, oh, this is really bad. The internet and the gaming community blew up after our press conference with all this stuff that they didn't like with the digital rights management. So we need to change that. So they did a complete 180 and changed everything to the way it used to be. So will this still be a point that will make you favor one console over the other? There's still $100 more over the PlayStation, but there's no need to talk about that. I just want to bring that to your attention. And I'll keep you covered if anything else develops on that. So let's get back to what we're actually talking about this week. We're going to do something completely different, and I hope it proves interesting, because it is it's completely different from anything we've done in the past. I've created, randomly by myself, five categories, each with one game that I picked to represent them. After this show, when you listen, you can text the number 203-903-AST-E, that's 2783, or you can leave a comment on the site on this episode's page with your favorite category, whatever one you like or you want to hear more about, and whatever one I get the most feedback on will be elaborated on in a future episode, most likely next week, I don't want to say for sure, but probably next week. So let me know if there's one that sticks out to you, one you'd like to hear about with more some more games, or one that you know you're not really familiar with, anything like that. Leave a comment, text, or call if you want to the number, and I will see that, and then we'll pick one for next week that I'll elaborate on. 
because I think each of these topics, these categories, I can elaborate on for the future. So that's why we're kind of doing things like a little, you know, buffet this week, a little bit of different stuff. But before that, I want to also do the classic format where I talk about a few different things. Also, real quick, I do want to mention, if you need more E3 coverage for some reason, if mine wasn't enough, or if you haven't seen anything online, make sure to start get, check out the Start Select E3 wrap-up. This past week, these Start Select guys, they didn't do their normal two shows. They just did an hour-long Start Select, or E3, sorry. They did an hour-long E3 recap, and they did not do two shows. So if you want to check that out, go ahead. I'm sure they really appreciate it, and the more listeners we get, the better, of course. So I'm going to mention a few things before we get to our categories here. I do want to bring your attention, I know I talked about it with Josh for a brief moment, the Humble Bundle is a really, 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 really good deal. It's a great way to get into indie gaming, it's pretty much how I did, for the most part. They just released an all-new bundle this past Tuesday, which will be available for two weeks per as usual, every week it comes out. It usually comes out on a Tuesday, and then it's out for two weeks, and usually one week after it comes out, if you bought the bundle already, you get more games. What happens with the Humble Bundle, just real quick, you get, there's a certain amount of games. This time, it's the Humble Bundle with Android 6, which means not only when you get these games, can you play them on your Mac, PC, or Linux, you can also play them on your Android phone through the Humble Bundle app. So if you make any donation to the Humble Bundle, you get the games Aquaria, Fractal, Oregon Trail Director's Cut, which is one I've had my eye on, and Stealth Bastard Deluxe. So if you pay any amount of money, you'll get those four games. You'll also get the game Pulse, which is only for Android. So even if you don't have an Android phone, this deal is still worth getting. If you beat the average price of what people are paying, which as of this recording on Thursday is about $4.70, it won't go much higher than that. The highest it'll probably go is maybe $5.50 or $6. That's $6 is high. You'll get two additional games, Frozen Synapse and Broken Sword Director's Cut, and if you pay more than a dollar, you get Steam Keys for each game, and any amount of any money gets you the soundtracks for all these games. And so, say you decide you want to pay $10. So you'll get all the games, and you can split it up between the developers, charity, and a tip for the Humble Bundle crew. So if you say, I want all my money to go to the developers, then all of it does. If you want all of your money to go to charity, then it all does. If you want to split it up, you do however you want with your money. And then you get all your games, you can buy it with PayPal, Google Wallet, Bitcoin, or Amazon Payments. You can buy it as a gift if you'd like to, and then it processes it real quick, and boom, you have your games. This deal will be out until next Tuesday, so 12 days from this Thursday. So you, Yeah, from this Thursday, so you have plenty of time. I would definitely check it out. You know, if you're still on the fence about it, pay a dollar, check out some of these games. You really can't go wrong for a dollar. And most of these games also will have controller support on the PC, so if you are not a big mouse and keyboard guy like me, I'm not a big mouse and keyboard guy, you'll be able to have the controller on the PC. So definitely check that out. I will link it for you. It's just humblebundle.com, but I'll link it for you in the notes so you can get yourself over there, because it's a really great deal. I also do want to do something real quick here that I haven't done for a little bit. I want to talk about some games that I've been playing. I just finished Far Cry 3. I played it on PlayStation 3, but it's also on the 360 and the PC. I got it when I got it from school about a month ago. I'd say overall, it's a really great game. It's an open-world first-person shooter. The main plot of the story is you're on vacation with a group of your friends, and you go skydiving, and then when you land, a group of pirates, like the kind of will sell you into slavery-type pirates, attack you and your friends. In the first mission, you get away, and then you're on a mission to rescue your friends. I like the story, but 
halfway through it kind of gets less intriguing, and the ending is kind of weird too. I'll, I'm not gonna say anything about it. I'll let you figure it out for yourself. But overall, I'd say it's a really good game. It's a first-person shooter game, really good open world. It's kind of like the Assassin's Creed type formula, where in Assassin's Creed, you have to climb up buildings, and then you use the eagle viewpoints to let you see your map. Like, your map is all cloudy until you climb up those towers, and then when you hit a button up there, you look around you, and then you have your map revealed. It's like that in Far Cry. You climb up these old radio towers, and then you take out the jammers that the pirates put in them, and you activate it, and then you can see your map. So if you like that formula, and you like shooters, you'll like this game. It's it's pretty long. There's a lot. There's a ton of stuff to do, like, in between the story missions. Like, the story missions serve as pretty much like a distraction for all the fun you'll be having. You'll be, you can hunt animals, you can go on a boat, you can, there's all kinds of different missions to do, lots of different weapons. It's a really great game. There is multiplayer and co-op. I haven't played the co-op yet. I've played a few matches on multiplayer. It's, it's good. It's something special. So, it's a little distraction. It's not anything amazing. Like, it's not, like, as unique as, like, Assassin's Creed multiplayer, but it's not bad. So, you know, give it a try. It's a really great game. I would, I would definitely recommend that one if you like shooters and it's a really great first-person experience. Another game I've been playing, I'm finishing up, is an indie game called Hotline Miami, and it actually, it was Adam's most recent indie game of the week on the website, so you can check out his review of it if you want a second opinion. Hotline Miami is a top-down, retro-style shooter game, where you and all your enemies die in one bullet. You'll die a lot in the game, but it's fun to do so because you learn. You'll come into a room that looks like an impossible situation because there's so many guys, and then you you'll die because you'll mess up on, you know of course you will and then you can figure out a strategy so I need to go in this room hit this guy with the door punch that guy take his gun shoot the other guy like that kind of thing it's a, it's a, it's a pretty fun game there's a, also in the game there's a variety of masks you can wear that enhance you in different ways such as making your fists kill in one hit instead of having to hit someone multiple times or making you move faster things like that it's not a very long game, it'll last you a few hours, but it, it, it is a lot of fun, and it's won a lot of awards. It goes for $10 on Steam, and I will link that for you as well. I haven't given a lot of info on it, because the story is kind of unclear, and you can kind of play it. I'm, I don't want to give all the information away about a game, I kind of just want to whet, whet your appetite and have you think. That sounds kind of cool if you'd like to play it. But, I kind of like, I'll talk about this another week probably, but I, I kind of like the formula of the less expensive game and less time, because... Especially now with work and everything like that, I feel like, you know, you spend all this money on like $60 on a game and it lasts you for all this time, like a Skyrim type game, which I've never played actually. That's it's a long time to play, but, uh, but in this model with some indie games, you pay 10 or $15 and then you have a game that's really fun for 5 or 6 or 10 hours or 8 hours, you know, and then you're done with it, you can move on. So... I think that's kind of cool because it's more bite-sized and you can feel accomplished because you're finishing games, so just a little thought. Okay, now that we're done with all that stuff, we're going to move on to my made-up categories. So for each one of these, I will read the category, and then I'll tell you the game, the system it was on, and the year it came out. As I said, I pick, I made these categories up. Each one, I picked one game that I've played that I feel fits into the game. There are a lot of others that could have gone into them, of course, too. And that's where you'll come in. And these categories are in no particular order, I just did them how, whatever, however I felt. So without further ado, here's our first category. This one is the most cliche or whatever. The first one is games that you most likely never played but are really, really good. And for this, I picked Donkey Kong, which was on the original Game Boy and released in 1994. Now, this Donkey Kong is not the Donkey Kong you remember from the arcade game with the four levels that just got faster and faster 
that was in the, the King of Kong documentary that I talked about, I think it was in the first episode, it's actually an extension of that classic game and one of the first Game Boy games I had. What happens is, it starts off the same as the original arcade game with the, the four basic levels, but it quickly gets a lot better and a lot cooler. And after you play through the first four worlds levels, instead of Donkey Kong taking the girl and just going back to the first level like it would in the arcade, you move on and he go, you move on to like a big expansive world. It's it's a level select type thing. Like you'll have a map. Like the first world is a city, and there will be a map where you can see that there's three levels and then a mini boss and then three more levels and then the, and the boss for that world. There are nine full worlds to progress through in this game, so it definitely didn't skimp out on content, especially when you consider some of the Game Boy titles that were quite small, like puzzle games and that kind of thing. Also, for 1994, Mario had a lot of cool new moves seen in this game, like standing on his hands, doing a backflip, things like that. The goal in each level of this game is to get the key. It's a 2D platformer. You have to grab the key somewhere on the level, and then you have to open the door that Donkey Kong goes through. But the thing is, you have to pick up the key and carry it, but there's also enemies and barrels you can pick up. You know, you can throw barrels and enemies and knock them out. So the, so you have to kind of figure out, like, okay, once I pick the key up, I need to get it on a ledge, and then I need to throw that barrel there so I can get up to the ledge to get the key to keep going, that kind of thing. So it's not, it's not a puzzle game, but you have to think about it. It's not just, like, an action game. And also, you have limited time. It's not a ridiculous time limit, but if you don't know what you're doing, the time limit can be a little restrictive, which makes it even more fun, because you have to figure out how to do it in the shortest amount of time. Locales in the game for the world has included an airplane that's in the sky, a jungle, and a city. Overall, I think this game was something different, and it's a lot of fun. It has good music, the gameplay is varied, you know, each world kind of throws something different at you. It's old, and I really don't know many people that played this game. I didn't re- I couldn't even, when I was little, I didn't really understand, because it was just called Donkey Kong, I didn't really know what it was, but it is an expansion of the old game, and if you like that kind of 2D, arcade, stylish game, you will like this one. I've played through it multiple times. Also, this is kind of interesting, if you have heard of the more recent Mario vs. Donkey Kong series, there was one called Mario vs. Donkey Kong on the Game Boy Advance that probably came out somewhere around 05, I'd say. And then there was one called Mario vs. Donkey Kong 2, March of the Minis. That was on the DS one. Especially the Game Boy one, but a little bit the DS one. This Donkey Kong game that I'm talking about is the predecessor of those games. Because in, Mar- in Mario vs. Donkey Kong, it's the same formula of, you know, you play as Mario, you have to grab a key and get to the door. So, if you play that and like it, you'll definitely like the first Donkey Kong. It's a really good game, especially for its time. So let's move on to the second category. It is... G- Games that prove that there can be four installments in a series and it can still be a good series. This is Wario Land 4 on the Game Boy Advance, and it came out in 2001. Now, I want to do want to say, technically there are five installments in the Wario Land series, but one of them was Virtual Boy Wario Land, which was in between the first one and the second one, so we'll exclude it for our purposes. I mean, if you want to be technical, you can say there can be five installments, but you, you get the point. So by the time Wario Land 4 came out in 01, Wario Land had become a long-running series. We have the first Wario Land, which is one I talked about when I talked about the, my, you know, some of the first games I played, and then the second one, which I've also praised, the third one, which is also really good, and then this one, which was an early Game Boy Advance game. It had really crisp graphics, along with cool level design. It kept the game fresh. This game definitely did the series proud. There was an appropriate amount of collectibles to keep your attention, along with a few extra difficulty levels. 
there was just normal or hard when you first played, but then you can unlock a super hard level if you beat it on hard, which made you start each level with just one heart and added more enemies and stuff like that. So it was it, it added some good difficulty. This game also introduced the formula in, in the Wario Land series where you have to get to the end of the level, hit a switch, and then race back to the beginning in a set amount of time. See, in Wario Land 4, you would go into a world via a portal, and the portal would drop you off and then shrink real small so you couldn't do anything with it. You had to get all the way to the end of the level, jump on a frog switch, which would activate the portal, but also a timer. And if you didn't get back to the portal by the, time, by the time the timer ran out, you would start losing your coins. And if you lost all your coins, then you'd be thrown out of the level and have to do it again. This formula was also used in the next Wario Land game, which is also the newest one, Wario Land Shake It, which was on the Wii. Came out a few years ago, maybe 2010. So overall, Wario Land 4, it didn't do anything groundbreaking for the series. I mean, you know, like I talked about before, Wario Land 1 was a pretty standard platformer. Wario Land 2 introduced the branching paths. Wario Land 3 had different levels. You had to, each level you had to go into multiple times to get all the keys. So this one didn't really do anything, like, really cool or groundbreaking, but it had nice graphics, cool bosses, memorable levels, fun collectibles. Overall, really solid game for the Game Boy Advance, and it capitalized on what made the series great. So it was just new enough to be awesome. I remember really enjoying this game, especially because it was one of the first games I got when I got my Game Boy Advance. So, Wario Land 4, all four of them are excellent. Shake It's pretty good, too. I would say there's not a bad one of those games. So that's four games in the series that were all really good. Uh, my third category is games that breathe new life into a series after a long space with no releases. And for this, I picked Rayman Origins, which was on the PS3, Xbox 360, the Wii... PC, 3DS, and the PS Vita. Whew. This came out in 2011. So before Rayman Origins came out, we found Rayman in a bit of a slump. The original Rayman game came out in 1995, and the second one came out in 1999. I talked about the Rayman's learning games back when, back on our educational games episode. That came out around there, too. And we also got Rayman Arena in 2001, but that was a spin-off. Rayman 3 came out in 2003. I had this one for the GameCube. I don't remember it being very good. It was kind of... I remember it had, like, a style point system. where you, Like, if you did certain moves while you were collecting certain pickups, you got more points. It was just kind of weird. I, I don't remember... I mean, it wasn't a horrible game, but it was not going in the right direction for Rayman, in my opinion. From then on, after Rayman 3 in 03, the only installments from The Man Without Limbs, Rayman were the Raving Rabbids games, which are another spin-off, and as we talked about last week with the Wii U, they're getting pretty stale. That was two weeks ago with the Wii U. They're getting pretty stale, so those aren't even really Rayman games. Then, 2011 happens. In short, I would say I've played this, I got it last year for Easter, Rayman Origins is everything a fan of the original Rayman game could ever want. It has absolutely gorgeous visuals. I'm not kidding. Seriously, you need to look up a picture of this game. Maybe I'll link one for you in the notes. Look up a picture of this game. You'll think that the the backgrounds in the level are concept art that someone drew. I remember Nintendo Power showing this game and thinking, oh, Rayman, I haven't played that in a while. And seeing the pictures, I thought it was art. Like They, they even said that. Like These are actual screenshots from the game. I mean, each level in this game is just exploding with light. I mean, it's the backgrounds, the foregrounds, the water, every little bit of detail, like when Rayman lands, a little bit of dust that comes out of his shoes, when he jumps in water, a little splash, when he comes back off the he you know, gulping for air, things like that. This game is absolutely pay attention to detail. 
has a great variety of levels. It has underwater levels that I actually enjoyed with awesome music. You know, like one is all about like your I forget what the name of the level is called, but it's all about like you're like on a Mexican like ta- like a table where Mexican foods being prepared, and there's like chili peppers that are spitting seeds at you, and like pots that steam up, and you have to jump on them when their lids pop, stuff like that. Great humor in the game. Of course, it's a Rayman game, and it's fun gameplay. This is a must-own game, absolutely 100%. If you own a system, this is on, which it's fun at everything. You need this game. If you haven't played this game and you like platformers, you're totally missing out. It's a ton of fun, like I said. It can be played up to four players in multiplayer, a la new Super Mario Brothers, that type of drop-in, drop-out thing. And it has a knockout soundtrack. Each track is... I can't praise this game enough. Rayman was definitely back and better than ever. And there's even more good news here, too. A sequel to Rayman Origins, called Rayman Legends, is coming to the PlayStation 3, the 360, and the Wii U this September. So definitely look for that. This game is cheap. I got it for, I think, like $20. It's really, really good. Get it. I mean, unless you absolutely hate platforming games, you'll find something to like about this game. I really, I can't recommend it enough. Number four is games where the players teach the developers a lesson. For this, I picked Little Big Planet and Little Big Planet Two, kind of because they're. I, you'll, you'll understand when I talk about it. Both on the PlayStation Three. The first game released in 2008, and its sequel came out in 2011. Little Big Planet is a really cool game and a really unique one. The creator media molecule uses the tagline "Play, Create, Share" for the game, and using it, the developers encourage their players to play the story levels that they have made for them, just like in a normal game, and then create their own content and share it with the world. And man, did they do just that! The developers had included a robust level editor that allowed anyone that had the game to use every tool the developers had that, that they created the story levels with. If you wanted to, you could probably go through and recreate every single story level just as they made it. Now, the first Little Big Planet was mainly a platforming game, but creative users in the first game made racing games, quiz games, and other things. Some people went absolutely insane. Using a lot of logic, which is like the if this, then that type of thing, not the book kind of logic, some users created fully functional calculators in this game. And some of them would publish their levels so that anyone could like edit them, which means you could look behind the scenes and see all the crazy stuff that was happening. It was absolutely mind-blowing with Little Big Planet. Because what, what happened is, in Little Big Planet, you can create your own levels on your own system, and then when you want to publish them, you just, you know, when you're, assuming you're connected to the network, you just publish them and you give it a name, some tags so people can find it, and then... You can go on and look at, like the most popular levels, search by category, search by words, you know, anything, and you can find them some awesome levels. That's people would recreate like levels from Super Mario Brothers, Contra, anything like that. Really, really cool stuff. So all that happens, and then the second game comes out. The developers, when they made their second game, they beefed up the creative tools in the game like crazy. But the thing is, and the reason why it fits into this category, many things that some elite creators that were just players of the game, many of the things that they had dreamed up were put into the second game as stock. What I mean is, for example, Logic, where I talked about where... Here's an example. There was a switch in Little Big Planet in the first game that's a motion sensor switch. That means you set... You know, when a, when a player walks into this range, activate it. So let's say you wanted to have a platform that goes up and down, and when a person's stepping on it, it goes up, 
and when they go when they step off of it, it goes down. Well, on the first little big planet, what you could do is you could hook that motion sensor switch up to the plat to a motor, and so when they activated, the motor would go up. But what, you, what would happen is if you walked off, it would just keep going up because the motor was activated, so it would just keep going up. So what? Would, so if you did that, you if you were like debugging your level and you fell off, if someone fell off the platform, they'd be able to they would be unable to finish the level because the platform would be gone. So using logic, what you can do is you can take two sensor switches and hook them up to dissolvable material and have the motion sensor switch take off the dissolvable material so then it's always going up. Now that I think about it, I actually didn't say that right. Point being, you're using a bunch, a series of switches to make sure that what you want to happen happens. Okay? So that wasn't even thought of in the first game, but in the second game, Right, you could just go into your menu and there was logic. There was an and switch, an or switch, an if switch, all that kind of stuff. So the developers took all the things that people made in the first game and they enhanced them and put them in the second game. It allowed for the creation of even more types of levels, the second one, including RPGs and shooters. You can even link levels in the second one to create a whole game if you wanted to. Clearly an example of the players of the first Little Big Planet taking an idea much, much farther than it was ever expected to be. I mean, there's mil- you, you, there's probably 10 million levels by now that you can play on Little Big Planet One and Two. It's 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 crazy. It is. And my final category is games with awesome anti-piracy techniques. And for this, I picked Earthbound, that was released in 1995 on the Super Nintendo. So no developer wants their game to be pirated, right? Some companies take an extra step, besides just wishing, and they get smart and try to crack down on the pir- privateers. The developers of the Super Nintendo RPG Earthbound, Ape, and Hall Laboratory, who also made uh, the Super Smash Bros. series, sure did. The game had multiple levels of warning to keep you away from pirating. First, if you were playing a cartridge on the game that wasn't designed for your area, like for example, if you were using the European version of the game in the US, you get a screen telling you, this cartridge is not designed for your system. If you keep playing, and the memory in the cartridge is determined to be tampered with, the game displays a screen that says, it is a serious crime to copy video games. Please refer to your instruction manual for more information. If the pirate progresses further after this, he's allowed to play the game, but there are a ton of enemies that spawn. Many, many, many more than usual. And Earthbound is not the kind of RPG with random encounters like Pokemon, where when you walk into grass at any moment, boom, there's a battle. Earthbound is a game where you're walking around in the field and you see enemies walking around. And when you bump into an enemy on the field, then a battle starts. So you see the enemies. So in a pirated version, there were a a ton of enemies, probably three or four times as many. This was most likely intended to make the game so unenjoyable and grinding like there was just constant battling that the pirate would just give up and quit playing because it was just absolutely unenjoyable. However, if your buccaneering ways prevail and you somehow make it to the game's final boss, as soon as the cutscene that starts the boss ends and the fight begins, the game crashes, so you turn it off, turn it back on, and the game deletes every single one of your saves everything gone. You can take that, you thief. Well, I think that's about it for today. I hope you enjoyed our diverse sample of categories. 
So don't forget to contact 203-903-ASTE, or you can leave a comment on the episode's page, like I said, to vote for which category you would like to hear some more about. Probably next week, not 100% sure, but most likely next week. I'm looking forward to the feedback about it, so just one more time I'll read those categories. Games that you most likely never played, but are amazing. Second is games that prove there can be four, or a a large number, if we need to edit that, installments in the series that can still be good. Games that breathe new life into a series after a long space with no releases. Fourth is games where the players teach the developers a lesson. And last is games with awesome anti-piracy techniques. There are a lot of those. So that pretty much wraps us up for this week. Thank you again for listening. Don't forget to check out Starts Like Network, reviews on games. Adam does an indie game of the week every week. Good stuff. We're on Facebook, Twitter. I talked about all that last week. And of course, we'll go out singing, as usual. Here again from Artificial Fear is the Dark World theme from the game A Link to the Past. It is metal cover of that. And we will see you next time, next week. (laughs) 